Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So today is what what day? Palm Sunday, and uh, we always think of that as being like a nice time for the kids to get the palms out and wave them, and then, you know, some people make the palm into a cross and stick it in the car or in the house or on a mantelpiece or something like that, and, and it's all good to do that, and we remember how Jesus came kind of riding into Jerusalem on a donkey uh, the beginning of this, what they call Holy Week, but then we know what happens Good Friday, and how the same, many of the people who have been in the same crowd who were shouting hooray for Jesus, then a part of the same crowd shouting away with Jesus and um, to get rid of him and to put him on the cross. And um, as we'll see next week at Academy One, which is going to be amazing, this is way bigger than um, just how bad things sometimes happen to good people. And how, um, you know, sometimes a, a crowd can turn on, on somebody. There's something way more amazing than that uh, that's taking place. So I really do encourage you to think about bringing people along to that. We have got a lot of things happening over Easter. You could, you know, that maybe it's not that. Maybe there's something else you could invite somebody to. Um, really want to encourage, actually, some of the, the, the ladies, if you could think about coming along on Wednesday evening to the, the call, which is taking place, um, which I know is has really helped a lot of people. Um, they've been meeting a few times, the, the, these, these uh, different events, and, and I know that already that there's a lot of women who've said that they've actually really heard God quite clearly through the things that have taken place at the call, because we believe Jesus is alive. The whole point of what we're doing is because we, we believe that Jesus is alive and that he's still speaking, and that um, you know, he's got a call on your life. He's got some things that, that um, I don't know, if you don't do them, I don't know who's going to do them. I don't know, he doesn't want somebody else to be doing the things that he's got lined up for you. And I don't know if you've um, spent much time discovering that. Or, 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 you know, your job is not to decide your future when you become a Christian. It's to discover your future and to, uh, to walk in the destiny that God has got for you. So I really encourage you to come along this week and do that. Because, um, you know, there's often some, some, th- some other things are going on that we don't always see on the surface. And that was really you know brings me back to the palm sunday because we think about the palms we think all these people just waving these nice things and you know it's just like they just happen to grab them and wave them but that was an intentionally nationalistic political thing that they were doing when they when they were doing that because uh, for the jewish people the palm was like uh, like any have got any welsh people here yes the, like the leak would be for Welsh people and like a sign of their nation in the same way for the Jewish people that the palm was was a sign of uh, of Israel so it's like them suddenly picking up a flag and waving it and they're doing it right in the face of their enemies the Romans that are surrounding them and um, it, so they they started to sing psalms and the psalms that they chose were all about the messiah who was on who was going to come and they believed that when the messiah came he would turn everything around he would he would he would you know flip everything over and and the things that, that uh, they thought couldn't happen would suddenly happen and that the that the enemy would be overthrown that they would come and that jesus would literally overthrow or the messiah would come and overthrow 
um, the, the Romans because for too long they'd been under the weight of Roman occupation. And, you know, the, they were under the sandal, if you like, of these Roman soldiers. And actually, the Roman soldiers had uh, spikes on their sandals. So uh, it was, you know, horrible to be living under that kind of oppression. Many of them were just born under it. It's all they'd ever known. But they also had these promises and these prophecies that one day Messiah would come and that he would turn everything over. And um, as it is now, where they're living, they're in a place where the Romans are in charge, where the declaration that, that people must submit to is that Caesar is Lord. That's what they get told every day. And um, they could still appoint a high priest for their religious practices, but only one that the Romans agreed with. It wasn't really even their choice. It had to be like somebody safe who would toe the party line and do what they were told. They didn't even have a king. They only had like a puppet king who was allowed to wear a crown and kind of jump around in robes a little bit. But he wasn't a real king. He wasn't even a, a Jew, the, the, the uh, King Herod. And um, they said that the, the high priest could on occasion wear his royal robes, uh, if you like, his priestly robes in ceremonies, certain ceremonies, um, as long as the people were good and everybody behaved themselves, but just to make sure that they did, they would keep his robes locked up in a special place. And they would only be able to bring them out with permission for, for uh, some of their special ceremonies, like Passover, which they knew was a time when the nationalistic fervour would go even greater among the people. And there might sometimes be riots and fighting and stuff like that that would, would, would happen, because there are these people called the Zealots, who were the... Uh, you know, some of them were terrorists, really, effectively, as far as the Romans were concerned. They would call them insurgents and uh, say that these were people who were uh, battling against the state. So, just to show who was really boss, they actually built a huge, a giant fortress called the, uh, the Antonia, named after Mark Antony. And they said, yeah, we're going to put this huge fortress full of our soldiers we're going to build it right on the side of your temple. This is how archaeologists uh, and historians would imagine it, it, it was. Josephus and others describe it in detail. The Romans basically said, yes, you can have your temple, you can have your silly god stuff going on, because there's all kinds of gods, Caesar's god, by the way, but there's all kinds of other gods too, and you can worship your one, your Yahweh, or whatever it is that you call him. But just so you know who's boss, we're going to build on the side of your most precious holy building, this mountain of a huge structure, this fortress, so that whenever you're going into the temple, you remember who's really in charge. And this, this shadow of it is going to fall over you every time you come in to worship your God. And they would have, it would be full of Roman soldiers, 600 soldiers on duty at any time in this place, 14 stories high. And they would look down from their fortress, their mountain, and see the people going in and out of the temple, the Jewish temple. But, like I say, the Jewish, Jewish people still hadn't given up hope because they had the promises, they had the prophecies. They would look back in the Old Testament and they would see the things that God had promised and that he talked about the Messiah and that he would come and how he would come. They knew what the prophet Zechariah said. I'll read it. I will guard my people and protect them. I will guard my temple and protect it. 
from invading armies. Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. Now, you've got to be reading that and having a bit of hope. The great prophet Isaiah confirms the prophecy. 500 years before any of this happened, he wrote, The Lord has sworn to Jerusalem by his great strength, I will never again hand you over to your enemies. Never again will foreign warriors come and take away your grain and your wine. Within the courtyards of your temple, you yourselves will drink the wine that you've pressed. Tell the people of Israel, look, your saviour is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. And the rabbis taught and believed that this would happen at Passover. That would be the time at which the Messiah would come and he would judge the ungodly and he would turn everything around and he would set his people free. So every time the Passover approached, people started to get excited because they were waiting for this special day to come. Then there would be huge crowds that gathered anyway among them, all praying that the Messiah would come. That's what the, the prayer of Passover really was, to set them free. And then at the same time, they hear about this young preacher from Nazareth called Jesus, who seems to be doing apparently amazing, incredible miracles. And he's shaking up the place wherever he goes. So again, there's some excitement that's tied in with the fact that Jesus is coming. Hundreds of thousands of Jews would come from all over the world to Jerusalem for Passover. All kinds of nations would be there and they would fill the streets. And then suddenly at one end of it, a victory parade starts to line up and people start to get excited. And they're whispering and then they're shouting, who is this? Who is this? It's the prophet from Nazareth. It's Jesus. Could he be the one? Could he be the one who's promised? Could he be the one that Zechariah and Isaiah could he prophesied about? Could it be him? Well, he's just healed two people who were blind. I heard he raised the dead. Yeah, his friend Lazarus in Bethany. He just, he just did that. Could it be him? And then Jesus arrives. Just picture him riding slowly down a steep hill from the Mount of Olives. He's arranged everything in advance so that he'll come in the way that prophecy said he would do, riding on a colt, on a donkey. And they've got to look at that and they're going to go, hang on, that's just exactly like the prophet Zechariah said the Messiah would come to, would come to town. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, even on the colt of a donkey. It's like, he's not coming in like the Roman generals come in, in their great stallions and war horses and coming to show us who's boss. He's coming with humility. And he's coming down from the Mount of Olives, the place that the, the prophets all said that the Messiah would come from. So they're overwhelmed with joy and somebody starts to shout, to cry out, Hosanna, which means God save us. Hosanna to the king, the king, of, the king of glory. The king of Israel, it's, it's him, he's the Messiah. Praise God, people start to, like I say, pull off the palm branches and, and throw, put them down in front of him. They're taking off their, their cloaks, he's royalty. Take, your, take the, the cloak off and put it down before the king. Run and cut those branches down, put them all out, let's lay a carpet for him. As he gets closer and closer, they're yelling louder and louder, even the children are joining in. Blessed is the king of kings, it's him. Hosanna in the highest. And they start to sing these psalms about God overthrowing all of the enemies. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Finally, they're like, yes, finally. 
I can't wait to see what he's going to do. He's coming to judge the ungodly. He's coming to overturn everything. He's going to go into that fortress and blast them. He's going to go in and like angel armies are coming with him. Now the Messiah's come. He's going to get off that donkey and I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be amazing. He's going to throw those pagans right out of here, out of that fortress. He'll bring the fortress tumbling down. He's going to smash them. He's going to blast them. He's going to drive them all out. Finally, we're going to be free. But then something terrible happens. Jesus doesn't go into the Roman fortress. He kind of takes a left, goes straight into the temple. and starts to interfere with worship done the way they want it to be done. And those who help to make their worship convenient the way they like it. He starts to overturn the tables. He says, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. It's like, what? Jesus doesn't go to the heart of enemy occupation, to where all these soldiers are, to the barracks and fight them with some angel army. He goes into the temple and starts flipping their tables over. And they're like, what the Pharisee is going on here? The law commands that every Israelite male must redeem his soul by paying a temple tax when you enter the temple. But the problem was the Jews couldn't bring their Roman coins into the temple because they would have pictures of pagan deities on them, some of them, or, or, or saying Caesar is Lord on them. So they would exchange them at the gate, at the door, for a temple coin that then they could use. And of course, if people are coming from all over the world, they're not going to carry with them the animals that they're going to use for sacrifices. So they would, they would buy them there. And it used to be that you would you'd do all of that outside the temple before you came in. Just to fulfill the law of God. But now that had all changed. Since a guy called Caiaphas became the high priest, he let them move into the temple courtyard. But it was into a particular place in the temple. It was called the, the place of the Gentiles. So this was the place in the temple where if you're not a Jew, you know, I'd be able to go in, into that place. And this was because God didn't just want the temple to be just for Jewish people. He wanted what he was doing to be a light to the nations. He wanted everybody to be invited and everybody to be involved and included. But suddenly, now what's happened is, they've filled all of that space completely and make it into a marketplace for the Jewish people to be able to be the only ones who could really go in. They even put up signs inside of it, which archaeologists have found, basically forbidding Gentiles to come into that area on the pain of death. It was like they're keeping people out. And that's why Jesus gets angry. Because prophets were blocking people. And I used to just think that this, you know, flipping the tables over was like Jesus getting really mad about people don't sell things in church, you know? That that was really what it was all about. But actually, like I say, those tables were just blocking ordinary people from coming close to God and connecting with God in the way that he wanted them to do. In fact, it was the only way that they could at that time to be able to draw close to God and they were putting their tables in the way to block people 
And Jesus is like, I want everybody to come. God wants everybody to come. Everybody to know that you can have your past mistakes forgiven and you can have, you can have hope today and for the future. God wanted everybody to be able to be in on that. And that's why Jesus comes and actually he still overturns every attitude, every practice that keeps outsiders out. But the problem is with that, well, we nod, what if he does it for something that we like? What if he does it for the way that we do things? And he starts to come in and say, well, that's great, but I'm going to do it like this. This is the way I want to do it. Yeah, but this is the way we want to do it. The problem comes when he starts to press our buttons and challenge our preferred practices. It says this in verse 18. Early in the morning then, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. We've had that. that it wasn't in the same place, but Jesus says that quite a bit in the Bible. When he's describing prayer as being about pulling down mountains. Some people think that maybe when he's talking about that, this mountain, he's even pointing to that fortress and saying, you know what, that's not as big as people think it is. So I read this passage, I don't know about you, but I remember just thinking, this is like the least environmentally friendly story in the Bible, really. And it's like, why is Jesus going around cursing fig trees? But again, you've got to realise that the reason for this is that the fig tree was another symbol of Israel. It was another one of their special signs of, and, and become a, a source of pride and nationalism for them. But what he says is, he comes to that, to that place looking for fruit and all he sees is leaves. See, we can do a good show. It can look good on the outside. It's just leaves. And Jesus is like, where's the fruit? I'm not bothered about your leaves. I expect to see some fruit. Jesus is saying, you know, I've come up close to have a look and nothing's really happening here. What's growing? It looks good, but it's doing no good. Paul wrote to Timothy about Christians. He said it's possible to have a form of godliness, but without power. Looks great, but there's no power there. Nothing's really changing. So, my question as I'm reading this to myself and to you is, are we really ready for Jesus to come up close and personal to us? To inspect what's going on and to have a look? Because what if he does and he comes and he says or does something completely unexpected? The last thing that we would expect him to do. What if it's something that we can't control? What if he turns our tables over? You know, I was, um, I was encouraged when Tim said that you're not going to be meeting in here in May, because when we started in the prayer time, I just had this word that came into mind when we were praying. It said scattered. Scattered. And I was like, what's that about? So I did a little, you know, Bible Googling. And, and it says that, that the believers, early on in the church, they kept wanting to gather as they were, and God kept scattering them. It says, and wherever they went, the good news was preached. And I think that's what kind of a church we are. I think we're a church that God keeps wanting to scatter in different ways, in different places, so that the good news can be preached. Is that comfortable? No. Is it easy? No. Is it good? Yeah. Because good news 
is going on as a result of it. The fact that we're in this building is good news. The fact that we're in Academy next week is good news. We're in places we would never have been if, if Jesus didn't keep coming along and scattering us. He's been doing it actually for about 10 years since I got here. We've been scattering in different ways in different places. But it's not comfortable when he comes and he turns the tables over that we've got everything neatly sorted out and all lined up and we know and, it, and you know some of those people I'm sure we're doing it from a good heart wanting to help people and putting their you know like, yeah I can exchange this for you and all of that but, but it, like, it becomes your practice the way you like things done but it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the way that God wants things done tomorrow so this passage speaks a lot about faith and it's all right to come to God with doubts we all have doubts I have doubts we have doubts up and down we're, we're up and down kind of people but this says God loves faith. See, faith gives God something to work with. That's what faith does. It's like he's saying, give me something to work with. You give me some faith, I can work with that. I can do, I can do miracles with faith. You can't, you can't really do anything with doubt. You know, Jesus even went to a town where people, everybody doubted. And he said, he said even I can't really do much here. But he loves faith. He loves it when we look at a mountain and name it you know that's the difference between a mountain and a hill by the way isn't it mountains get names don't they if it's if it's not got a name it's just a hill get over it <laughs> but if it's a mountain put a name on it and then there's a name above every name so you you name what the mountain is put the name on it and then declare i know a name that's above that name so that's how we're going to pray. In a little while we're going to pray and we're going to pray and I want you to, as part of that, to be praying that mountains will move. But you've got to name the mountain and say oh, that thing's got to be removed or cast into the sea or whatever needs to happen. But God needs to do something with that. It could be your mountain. It could be a mountain that somebody else has got. You know, I've got all kinds of people on my heart at the moment that I'm praying for that I could write the name on that mountain. And, and then I look above the mountain and I see the name Jesus. And I don't look at the problem, I look at the promise. I look above the problem I look at the promise. I don't look at the sickness. I look at the saviour. I look above what the problem is and I see the promise. And when we're starting to pray like this in this year of prayer, we're getting incredible testimonies that are breaking through all the time across all of the sites. It's amazing what God is doing. And again, what's faith about? Sometimes we think it's just like intellectual assent. Like, oh yeah, I can believe that like in my head. But that isn't what this is about either. In fact, Jesus goes on to tell us exactly what faith looks like in the next parable. He says this. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. See, the good news is, whether or not you've been in church for years or you're brand new here today, you can have faith because faith just means you do what God tells you. That's it. You believe what your father tells you and you do what he tells you to do. So if he tells you he can, we believe that he can. If he says it's possible, we declare it's possible. If he tells you to go, you go. If he tells you to stay, you stay. If he tells you to forgive, you forgive. Whatever it is, don't just say you're going to do it. Jesus is like, you know, that's again, that's the leaves, but it's no fruit. Just saying I'm going to do it is not the same as doing it. Just singing it 
is not the same as doing it. It's doing it that is doing it. It's hearing God and doing it. I've got this book. I've been reading it. It's going to take me a, lo a long time. It's about a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. He was a... Um, he was a, uh, he was from Bradford, he was a plumber, and he, he was like illiterate. The only book that he could read, that he said he read all the time, was the Bible. He pretty, pretty much learned to read by reading the Bible. He wasn't a preacher, his wife started to preach, he didn't want to preach. He said, I used to look after the Bibles, carry the Bibles and the boots and the babies while she was preaching. And then one time, she wasn't able to do it, so they said, could he preach? And he got up with a really stammering voice and he started to speak, and then the Holy Spirit started to come and speak through him. And that was it, he was off and he was preaching everywhere and he, he did miracles, like just unbelievable, amazing miracles. And the thing is, this is the book, on every page there's miracles. I want to live a life like that. You know, Some, I, I would love a life that thick, full of miracles. But you know the secret, he said it's just faith. It was believing God, that's all he did. Was that he basically believed God. Smith Wigglesworth quote is coming up, he might already be up there, he says this, two classes of people whosoever will and whosoever won't and the difference he said is what you believe you I mean it's amazing if you want to build your faith read stuff written by people who believe we're surrounded by all kinds of stuff that will crash your faith by reading all kinds of doubts but if you read see I read this kind of stuff to build my faith because you can't read three pages in this without wanting to go out and lay hands on somebody and pray for them and, and like, come on, God. And I read this not so that I can look back and go, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if God still did that? I'm, I'm reading it because I'm like, God, do it again like we just sang. Well, I believe we'll see you do it again. You've made a way where there is no way. I read about he goes into a cobbler's shop and he doesn't even know if the guy's a Christian, but this guy's got a green film of infection all over his eyes. So he says, so he didn't ask if he's a Christian. He puts his Bible down on the counter, puts his hands on the guy's head and prays for him and immediately he's healed. That's just one thing. He, goes, he gets invited by a friend to go and uh, look at a field. He's looking around this farmer's field and he says, oh, that's a lovely field there you've got growing. And he says, oh, no, it's a terrible field. He said, it's full of blight. He said, it looks okay, but it's not. It's full of blight. I'm not going to get anything out of that. And uh, it says that Smith Wigglesworth stood there and he prayed and he lifted up a hand to heaven and then he, he, then he prayed for the field that the field would be healed. And, uh, and it was. And the farmer said that that field became his most productive field. He got more out of that field than he got out of any field in the future. You know, you're reading that, it's like, wow. But we've got to pray and believe. It's not just praying. It's like, there's a bit in, it, in this. I'll read it and then, we don't, and then I'm kind of nearly done. I won't read all the book. <laughs> but uh, he's talking about how we pray. And basically, we can pray two ways. There's whosoever will and whosoever won't. And he says... The man of whom I've been speaking came to me and said, the doctor says this is the last day that my wife has to live. I said, oh, Mr. C, just whatever his name is, why don't you believe God? He replied, well, I've looked at you when you talked and I've wept and said, Father, if you could give me that kind of confidence, I'd be so happy. I said, could you trust God? I felt that the Lord would heal her. I sent to a man and asked if he, if he would come with me to see a dying woman, for I believe that if two of us would go and anoint her, according to James 5, she'd be raised up. The man said, oh, why have you come to me? <laughs> I couldn't believe. Although I believe we'll be sure to heal her if you go. Then I sent to another man and asked him to go with me and told him whatever his impression was to be sure and go and pray right through. 
re-entered the house. I asked the man to pray first. He cried in his desperation and he prayed that this man might be comforted after he was left with these little motherless children and that he might be strengthened to bear his sorrow. I could hardly wait until he'd finished. My whole being was moved. I thought, what an awful thing to bring this man all his way to pray that kind of prayer. What was the matter with him? He was looking at the dying woman instead of looking at God. You can never pray the prayer of faith if you look at the person who's needing it. There's only one place to look and that is to Jesus. The Lord wants to help us to learn this truth and to keep our eyes on him. When this man had finished, I said to Mr. C, now you pray. Well, he took the thread where the other man had left off and went on with the same kind of prayer. He got down so low beneath the burden, I thought he'd never rise again. And I was glad when he got over. I couldn't have borne it much longer. It all seemed the most out of order thing I'd ever heard. My soul was stirred. I was anxious for God to get a chance to do something and have his way. I didn't wait to pray, but rushed up to the bed and tipped up the oil bottle, pouring nearly the whole contents on the woman. And I saw Jesus just above the bed with the sweetest smile on his face. And I said to her, woman, Jesus Christ makes you whole. And she was not only healed, but raised up in that very hour. How do you tend to pray? Whosoever will, whosoever won't. Maybe you have a mountain that you can name. There's a name above that name. So if the band could come up, and um, in fact, if you're able to stand, we'll stand and we're going to start to pray. And I believe we will hear stories and answers in the weeks ahead. And we'll see even greater things than this, because Jesus said it. Jesus said we're going to see even greater things. And so, again, this isn't just so we can think about revivals that happened 100 years ago or just to get nostalgic, but it's so that we can pray with faith because the power of prayer is not prayer. It's not a certain pattern or words that is powerful. The power of prayer is not the prayer. It's not that I become a powerful prayer. The power of prayer is Jesus. Jesus is the power of prayer. So when we pray for people to be healed, he's the one that we look to. So we're going to pray into that in a minute, for a minute. But I also wanted to say, this is something that came to me in the worship, that I was reminded, uh, just this thing about, you know what, the king does what the king wants to do. And this isn't, um, and I'm not saying that to kind of let God off the hook, like, oh, well, maybe he won't answer. And it's, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, we've got to let him do what he wants to do, because he's the king. So if he comes riding on a donkey and he goes left and we want it to go straight on, he's the king. So we, we, we want to say to Jesus, you're the king and you're in charge and we see you as sovereign. And a few years ago, well, it was a long time ago now, I had a dream. And um, in this dream, I was standing on guard outside a, um, a big palace and I was supposed to be speaking it was the first time I'd ever got to speak at some big conferency thing and I was a bit worried about the whole thing because you've got names there you've got all these incredible people who are speaking and I'm like what am I doing speaking at this thing where all these people are speaking and I started to really get worried about it and then I had this dream and in this dream I was standing outside the palace and um, I don't, having been in the police I've stood guard in places and what I knew was the king was going to come and that my job was I was going to go with the king where he wanted to go. And over here, there were like all of the eyes of the world, all of the media and all of these important people 
like you know if like as if as if Prince William came to town all the media would be there and this was like a really important thing over here so I'm waiting and then suddenly down the steps of this palace comes the king and he's the ancient of days he's majestic he's like this beautiful old man who comes down the steps kind of glides down the steps and then comes and stands right next to me and I can feel his presence there with me and it's like God's here and he's, the, he's this close and then he comes and he actually leaned on me and I'm like wow the king and I, in my, in, to me I'm thinking it's the king of England I'm not thinking it's God it's a dream you know the king of England's leaning on me and then we've got to go to the important thing so I start to go over here towards where the important thing is and then he starts to go here and kind of pushes into me and I'm like oh no the king's going wrong <laughs> how do you tell the king he's going wrong so so I'm like eh, and he's like oh. as we're crossing the road and then as we're going all everybody's waiting there's all this amazing stuff happening over here and I'm like how do I tell the king so I said your majesty I have to say that the really important thing is over there that's what we've got to go to and then we walked through as we went left and he's in charge so I followed him and we went into this little garden like like in Notting Hill you know that little garden one of those and I went in and I sat he sat down on a bench the crown on and everything and I, I sat down next to him, I don't know what I do, and then he said, this is most important to me. Just being with you. He said, I've put these gardens everywhere. Everywhere these gardens are, so my people can always come and be with me, because this is most important to me. And you know what, after that, I went and did that conference and I was like, there's no big names. There's only Jesus. He's the name above every name. And, like, and the, the king of the universe wants to be my friend and to be with me. And I can be with him everywhere. And that's the best possible thing. So whatever else might happen that might seem really important, the most important thing is just to be with him. So it's out of that place that we pray. It's not so then we can go and get the miracle and come over here and let's do the miracle, let's name the miracle, all that kind of stuff. First of all, as we worship and, and, and we start to pray, can we just, why don't you close your eyes, just go into that place, just accept the invitation from the king. Most important, the reason that the king of kings came is because he, he wants to overturn every table, anything that's stopping you coming to him being close to him he will overturn that table anything that's blocking him being as close as he wants to be he's happy to turn that table over and move things around and change it so that you and him can be really closer and closer if you like if it helps just close your eyes and just picture that happening Jesus inviting you to go into a, a safe place a, a good place they're everywhere so there's one here and you can go right into that place with Jesus. And it's the most important thing for him. Is you just be with him. So just be with him.
And it's from being in that kind of place that actually all the miracles can take place. Because it's not us who do it, it's him who does it. So just go in and be close to him. Don't let anything stop you or block you. There's no gate on it. The gates are open. You can go in and be with him. What he wants more than anything is for his children to be in that place with him. And that's you. You're invited. Maybe he's, he's got a word for you, something he wants to speak to you or show you. Maybe he just wants you to be there with him anyway. Lord, when we've spent more time with you and we've kind of gone out of time and stepped into the eternal dwelling place of prayer, all kinds of things fade into the distance. Mountains are not very big when we make you bigger, when we see you bigger. Have you ever been up in a plane and you look down and flown over mountains and they're just like part of the landscape? Well, thank you that you have seated us in heavenly places. Jesus. So I'd like you to, in your mind, name the mountain, but from a position of being above it. You don't even have to look up to the mountain because when you're with God, he's way above it. He's high above it. And this is how you take authority over it. And this is how you can say to a mountain, let it be picked up and removed because it's just not so big anymore because he's so much bigger so in your mind if you want to just name the mountain I've got a few names of some people that I'm praying for for, for a breakthrough from sickness naming that naming their name but Jesus I put your name above every name you are the king you go where you want you do what you want I'll follow you Hosanna Hosanna God saves blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord thank you that you come thank you that you came thank you that you're here
just pray Holy Spirit you'll come and fill us right now afresh as we just carry on worshipping but bringing this into prayer as well make the worship blend with the prayer so whatever we as we sing we also declare the name of Jesus the victory of Jesus the power of Jesus we stand on your promises we stand in your truth we declare Jesus Christ is Lord Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.